Thanks for listening to the podcast of First Alliance Church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. For more information about our church or to watch a video recording of today's message, visit us online at facws.org. Unfortunately, due to some technical malfunctions, we weren't able to record the beginning of today's service, but we'll join Pastor Ben a few minutes into his message. Because if you got great uncle John and he was a war hero, uh, you know, you need to name your child with John. Uh, and in this case, Zechariah was pretty important. He had served in the priesthood. He'd been in the temple. He had heard directly from God when an angel showed up. I mean, this is big news. And you can imagine the stress of her saying, mm, no, John. John wasn't a family name. John wasn't particularly a common name uh, uh, in that given region. It was common amongst Judaism. It was a cool name. Again, it means the Lord is gracious. But what it means to us, because we know more than the other people know in this story, what it means that John was the name is that Zechariah was faithful to what God told him to do. Because remember, the angel showed up. The angel said to Zechariah, you will have a child and you will name him John. Zechariah didn't believe it. And so the, the angel said, you will not be able to talk until all these things come to pass. So he hadn't been able to speak a word. His lips were sealed. In fact, there's some indication from this text that not only could he not speak, but he also might not have been able to hear either because when they went to go ask him after Elizabeth says his name's John, they go to ask him and they have to make motions to him because he can't hear. Or maybe they just thought he couldn't hear. We don't know for sure from the text. But listen, the fact that Elizabeth knew that the baby's name was supposed to be John means that Zechariah made a big point of driving that home at some point over the nine-month pregnancy. It means he was faithful. He did what the angel told him to do. He didn't question it. He didn't argue back with God. No, give the baby my name. It's a family name after all. No, 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 no. And they said to her, none of your relatives, verse 61, none of your relatives are called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and he wrote, his name is John. Not, I think John's a cute name. You know, that's how husbands and wives often talk about it. You know, one has a good idea and is like, oh, what do you think of John? The other's like, oh, you know. No, this was, his name is John. So mom and dad were on the same page following what God had directed earlier in Luke chapter 1. And immediately it says, his mouth was open and his tongue loosed and he spoke. And what did he speak? It says, and he spoke blessing God. Now, if I was struck mute for nine months, the only one blessing God would be my wife. And if I could suddenly speak again, I would say, it's about time. And I might even be angry because I had suffered for so long despite being faithful. 
But God so shaped Zechariah's heart and, and he was so soft towards God's plans and not his that not only does he name his son the way that God directed, he also, when his mouth is able to speak, just worships. That's what he does. Sometimes our lives are taken through extended periods of struggle and in the midst of that we forget what it is to worship We don't see any light at the end of the tunnel, and we wonder, why, God, am I going through this? It may come from God. It may be because we live in a broken world that we experience suffering. But all through it, do we remain faithful to what God has told us to do? Well, when he speaks, he shows the world a vision of a plan unfurled. He shows everyone what's about to take place. His first words are what Mary just did. They're a poem, a song. When he starts speaking, he gives a prophecy. And it's so amazing that fear comes on all the neighbors, it says in verse 65. And these things were talked about all through the hill country of Judea. And everyone who heard them laid up in their hearts saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And it says, And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Now we're going to read this word horn of salvation or the horn many times throughout the Bible. And I've always wondered what is it meant? Is it meant a horn like what they would blow like a ram's horn to, to call people into battle? Or they could use a horn as a flask. You could actually stick a stopper in and hold liquid in a horn and carry it around. You could drink out of a horn. Have you ever seen a cup made out of an animal's horn? Maybe they have cups made out of that. But no, as I've studied the issue, what seems to be the imagery that that, uh, Zechariah is using, that God has given him, is the horn. If you think about, you're a hunter out in the wilderness, and you're trying to find an animal to kill, what is the most threatening and leading part of an animal that you want to avoid? The horn. The horn was the vanguard of the animal. It lets you know he was coming. It was the threat. It was the announcement. I am amazing and violent. Don't mess with me. And when an animal has a big set of horns, oftentimes that means it can levy a big hurt on you if you're not careful. It's the front. I'm coming. The plan of God is coming. The horn of salvation is on its way. Here's Zechariah with his baby filled with the Holy Spirit saying, guess what, everyone? The plan is started. Christmas is coming. Right around the corner. And then John's job was to go out into the wilderness and start saying that very thing over and over and over again for decades. Between the birth of John... And when Jesus would show up to be baptized, there were 30 years. Think about that. John is born. Zechariah says the horn of salvation is here. The front of it, the power of God is being shown. And then for 30 years, 
We don't know what's going on. Yeah, Jesus is born, he grows up, he's a boy, he shows some flashes of awesomeness, but he does not start his public ministry until he is 30 years old. Are we steadfast in that way, holding to God's promises for decades and decades and decades? Would we have the strength that John had to go out in the wilderness and for 30 years say, salvation is coming, repent and believe? Would we have the steadfastness of Zechariah for nine months to remain faithful while his wife, old, having a high-risk pregnancy, we would call it nowadays. People just don't have babies at that age, and yet she's pregnant. Would you have the faithfulness to be like Zechariah and hold fast to the plan of God, which is on its way? I don't know as I have that power within me. I mean, I myself, if I was told, hey, you're going to have a baby, but that baby you know, is going gonna, is gonna to be a, a, a crazy kid who goes out in the wilderness and says crazy stuff and eats locusts and wild honey and is going to shout for 30 years that a, a Savior is coming and you, you just got to be faithful and trust that and you got to name him John because all that stuff's going to happen. That's a, that's a lot of faithfulness. You know what? Zechariah did not live long enough to see the plan take place. If he was already very old when he had John, I guarantee you that 30 years later he wasn't around anymore. Meaning that he had to be faithful to a promise that he wouldn't even get to see. A lot of times in our lives we have to be called to be faithful to promises that we aren't even going to see. Think about this. The people that this church has led into salvation, has freed from problems and pain and suffering, has, has worked with and throughout the community, the good things that have happened for a hundred years, most of the first people that started this church never lived to see and certainly now aren't going to live to see it because they've gone to be in glory. But they were faithful. The missionaries that we sent overseas for decades and decades and decades, they had to toil away. Some of them never saw a single convert. And yet, as soon as they died, the next generation came in and you have church after church after church coming around. Amen. And I can tell you that that's happened in more countries than not when we have sent our missionaries. Are we faithful when the answer isn't necessarily right around the corner. That's the true test of faith. That's what Zechariah had to experience. That's what Elizabeth had to go through. But yet he, when filled with the Holy Spirit, says the horn of salvation has arrived. Now I only have one application to take out of that. I can't do that without the Holy Spirit. I, I could not be faithful like Zechariah was faithful or Elizabeth was faithful or John was faithful. I couldn't be faithful like that without the Holy Spirit. I could not be faithful like that unless I asked God to give me the power, the patience, and the strength to endure through all of that. And then he led the way. I, I can't. And a lot of times in our lives, where we err, where we fail, is when we try to persist in godliness under our own power. 
We start with the Lord. We believe that Jesus is king. We proclaim him that he's our savior. And then we try to live the Christian life on our own strength afterwards. As if he's good enough to save us, but not good enough to carry us through. We cannot believe in Jesus, our Savior, and not also believe in Jesus, our Sanctifier, the one who brings us through life, the one who fills us with his Holy Spirit and shows us how to live and leads us through how to live. Zechariah would not have been able to preach about the horn of salvation if the Holy Spirit didn't fill him. Elizabeth would not have been able to give glory to God when she saw Mary if the Holy Spirit had not filled her. Uh, John would not have been able to persist in the desert for decades if he had not been filled with the Holy Spirit from his womb. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Because that's the only way. That's not an optional way of living the Christian life. It's not like, I'm a Christian, and then I'm going to go be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you are a believer, we receive the Holy Spirit when we receive Christ. And the question is, are we living by the Holy Spirit? Some of us have a trinity that exists of the Father, the Son, and something else. It's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father sent the Son to save us. The Son and the Father sent the Holy Spirit to fill us and lead us and live in us every single day. So I want to ask you, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Have you asked God to lead you today? Have you asked him to fill you with his power, his energy, and his purpose? Have you clung to him in the midst of dark times? That's the story of Christmas. That's the story of John. That's the story of Jesus and Elizabeth and Zechariah. It's a way better story than any gender reveal party ever since. There was one the other day, one of these gender reveal parties. Sorry, I gotta say this. They had an airplane. It had 350 gallons of pink water. It dumped all the water and then the plane crashed. Y'all, a text will suffice. Girl. We turn now to the table. This is our party, guys. This is when we celebrate what God has done for us. God, our Savior. God, our Sanctifier, our Healer, and our coming King. His name is Jesus. And Jesus went on the cross. He took the punishment for our sins. And so we take the communion as a picture of what God has done in Jesus on the cross. And as I'm preaching on the Holy Spirit, I'm struck with this important reminder. Jesus could not have done what he did unless he too was filled with the Holy Spirit as well. Do you know when he went into the wilderness to be baptized? Who baptized him? John. What happened when he was put into the water? The heavens open, God speaks, and then it says the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove. And it doesn't go back up. It stays. Jesus, all his ministry and all his life, even unto his death, was filled with and needed the Holy Spirit. If he needed the Holy Spirit, don't you think we do too? It led him to the cross for our sake that we could know him and be filled by the Holy Spirit. 
want to invite the elders and the stewards that are coming up. I think somebody's going to have to run and get Tim from the kids because he was shuffled down there. Brian, you want to go get him? Thanks, brother. Um, some of our elders decided to take a vacation and not even drop me a line. I asked that if you believe that Jesus is Lord and that he saved you from your sins, that you partake with us in this, what we call the communion table. But before we do that, let's pray. God, as we consider what we look at in the table, we consider the body and the blood of Jesus a picture in the cup of what you led Jesus to do by your Holy Spirit. Now, I know that your Holy Spirit will never lead any one of us to die for someone else's sins because we can't do that. But you will lead us into difficult times and you will lead us into times when we have to rely on you even when we don't see the end in sight. Lord, would you let us be faithful, spirit-empowered, faithful people who pursue you, especially when we don't understand why something is happening. When all we see in front of us is darkness or sorrow or pain or suffering, when we are confused, when we are hurt, would those be the times that we most powerfully cling to you and your spirit and seek your face. We need you, Lord, and we love you. We thank you that you bought us this power by sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, and we celebrate that now in your name. Amen.